Hey, everybody. Welcome to the MLB Pipeline podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here along with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. And we have a special guest today as we are going to be talking uh, about a lot of things, a lot of international players, uh, a lot of things with international flavor. So we brought in a ringer in Jesse Sanchez. Jesse, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jason. I don't think I've ever been called a ringer in my life, but I'll, I'll take it today. Thank you. Absolutely a ringer. All right. So a few things. Uh, first of all, a story that has kind of transcended baseball and, and even sports in general and something that, uh, you know, maybe doesn't, you wouldn't think uh, is prospect specific and something we talk about on the podcast, but the Marlins hiring of Kim Ang as the first, uh, the first woman to be hired as a major league baseball general manager. Um, that story continues to uh, reverberate. That happened uh, last week. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, Jesse's done a couple of features recently on some young international players, uh, Yankees Jason Dominguez and Dodgers outfield prospect Luis Rodriguez. So we wanted to have him on to talk about those a little bit. Uh, winter ball is underway in the Dominican. And uh, if you haven't seen it, one of the more exciting uh, prospect duos down there. Guys, I think it'd be hard to, to come up with a, a, a more exciting duo if you pick two names out of the top 100 prospects list, Wander Franco and, and Julio Rodriguez teammates down there. We'll talk about that a little bit. Um, and then we'll wrap up by answering some of your questions in the mailbag segment. Uh, but guys, first of all, uh, the hiring of Kim Ang by the Marlins. Now uh, she turns 52 years old today. As a matter of fact, happy birthday to Kim Ang um, has 30 plus years of experience in baseball, including 21 in front offices of the White Sox, Yankees, Dodgers, obviously has ties to uh, Derek Jeter from his Yankees days. Um, and Jesse, why don't you lead us off here and and talk about this a little bit? I know that this hiring uh, has some significance uh, to you, and uh, you you also have uh, uh, had several interactions with with Kim over the years. Right, Jason. So obviously this. Is one of those things that's bigger than baseball. You know, it's history. Uh, Kim, um, well-deserved, reached this position. And I think, you know, the entire baseball world, I think, you know, everybody's really celebrating this accomplishment. It's always great to see uh, someone, you know, uh, work their butt off and reach one of their goals. I think one of the things I, Kim said, and I think people that know her have said, even if she didn't ever get the job as a general manager, uh, she wouldn't consider her her career a failure, and I 100% agree with that. I mean, this is one of the most accomplished people in baseball. Um, very knowledgeable, as you mentioned. Um, you know, why would we we talk about Kim during a prospects podcast? Well, she's covered and worked in every segment of the game. You know, from youth from youth sports uh, to amateur prospects to international to you know the big leagues and and everything in between. So this is a, you know, obviously a monumental event for baseball, for sports. And uh, like I said, it's bigger than baseball. When you, but when you think about baseball, Kim Ng is part, you know, of the fabric of the game because really she can discuss any facet of baseball, uh, pros, amateurs, minors. And I, and I really think uh, she's one of the most knowledgeable people out there. My most recent experience is when she worked as senior VP of, of baseball ops for MLB, uh, she oversaw the international group. And what I saw there was 
an attempt to really understand what is happening on the international front. I think people can understand, you know, the international side can be tricky at times. So what I saw Kim come in, do, and just trying to get a feel for what was happening on the ground, um, listen to everybody. I think that's one thing the Marlins are going to, are going to see their front office, their scouts, you know, their coaches, are they going to experience someone who listens and takes their perspective and wants each person to, you know, contribute to the conversation. And she's a great listener. And then I think what, when she's done listening, and then that's when she offers her analysis, works together, a really collaborative effort. That's what I saw down there when, you know, in Santo Domingo or, you know, different events across the, the Caribbean or Latin America, she was, she was hands on her. She was on the ground at these locate at these locations, really getting her input, you know, really listening to what others want to do and really focusing on trying to do a great job. So, you know, obviously even before I got to know her, I admired her from everything she accomplished. And then once you start to work with her in the same, you know, in the same international field, uh, part of baseball, you really just get a, a feel and understanding and respect from how she's doing it. And personally, you know, I've really learned that, uh, how to do that from her, you know, how to listen to others, how to take everybody's input from everyone else and, and, and listen and understand everybody has a voice. And, uh, you know, that's one thing that really stands out for me and Kim. Well, it's interesting, Jesse, just listening to you talk about her. And I've never met Kim, which is kind of amazing. I've, I've never crossed paths with her. But the way you talk about her, including everybody and and listening to the to all the voices and opinions to, to make good decisions. I mean, that sounds a lot like what people said about Theo Epstein when he became a GM, to be honest with you. Um, I think that's one of Theo's greatest strengths. And, you know, it, you know, with Kim having that and her skill set, I mean, that you know, sets you up. I, I think that that opens up the possibility for a lot of success as a general manager to, you know, trust the people you have working with you rather than sometimes you see people think they have all the answers and, and, and you know, being more inclusive uh, leads to a more productive front office. It, you know, we, we've seen that time and again. You know, I think, you know, one of the things that cannot be talked about enough is kind of what Jesse was alluding to and saying, you know, how this transcends baseball. And, you know, there are, there are times where the game is kind of behind the, you know, the cultural or societal curve. And then there are times where it, it's ahead and, you know, this should have happened a long time ago. Uh, but it was very exciting. I think for any of us who work in, in baseball and, and care uh, about, uh, about the future of the sport to, to see it be um, a trendsetter in this way, even if it's, it's late in coming. And the fact of the matter is that, if you look at Kim Ang's resume, if she were a man, she would have been a general manager 15 years ago. And, uh, you know, if not, if not longer ago than, than that, if you look at some of the young people who have ascended into, into general manager's chairs, you know, but she's there now. I'm excited just to have her be able to go out and be judged like anyone else. You know, it, it, it's exciting to note the, the moment in history and and how she owns that part of it and how uh you know younger women or girls now have a model of what what that can look like and and can aspire to to that not as a dream but as something that actually can happen and now she can go out and be measured like every other general manager uh by by wins and losses uh and 
I'm excited to to see what happens next. And I think um, that she's walking into a pretty good situation uh, with an organization with an up arrow next to its name. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that. We have a story up on the site now, um, Kim Ang talking about the next steps with the Marlins. And it struck me as you go through that story, um, some of the quotes in there. She said, the first thing that needs to be done is I've got to really familiarize myself with all the ins and outs of the players on the 40-man roster, as well as in our minor league system. And she said, I think the most important thing in this whole thing is to know the prospects that you have. And then there's a section on the state of the Marlins system. And Jonathan, as you said, uh, an, an up arrow next to the Marlins. This is a team that uh, I believe was at eight consecutive losing seasons, um, uh, you know, been something of a, a cellar dweller and then kind of burst onto the scene this year, uh, surprise appearance in the postseason. And uh, Jim, wanted to have you talk a little bit about the state of the Marlins system um, and also her connection with not just Derek Jeter, but I know uh, Gary Denbo as well, going back to his time with the Yankees and now in a leadership role there with the Marlins as well. Yeah, you know, it, you know the, the nice thing about this for Kim is, you know, a lot of times when a team changes general managers, they're not enjoying any success, you know, it's a rebuilding situation. You know, there's a lot of work to be done to get the team back to respectability. And and with the Marlins, that's not the case. I mean, they, they made the playoffs. They, they, they swept the Cubs in in the first round of the playoffs this year. And I I know it wasn't a normal season, but they still did make the playoffs. They've got the, the youngest team and easily the best farm system in the national league East right now. We, we ranked them as the fifth best farm system at mid season. It's possible next year that I think it's their top 11 or 12 prospects, well, top 11 prospects in our system could all be in the big leagues next year. Nine of them were this year. The other two are their last two first round picks who are very advanced and outfielder JJ Bleday and, and right-hander Max Meyer. So, I mean, this is a team that, that already has some interested young talented players on the roster and they have one of the best farm systems in baseball, which they've, they've really built up in the last couple of years through trades in the draft. And they're going to get younger and even better. Um, you, know, you asked about Gary Denbo. You know, Gary is the vice president of, of player development and scouting. So he kind of, you know, he's not technically the scouting director. That's DJ Svillick. And he's not technically the farm director, but he oversees those departments. And he and Derek Jeter both know Kim well from, from her time with the Yankees. She was with the Yankees for, I think, about four years um, after she was with the White Sox for a while uh, when, she, when she broke into baseball. Um, and I just think that makes it easier, too. I mean, these are people who have worked together in the past, um, and it's going to make it easier for them to work together in the future. So I, I think, I mean, as Jonathan said, I mean, this is – this is a pretty good situation to walk into just from a talent standpoint. Also from a, a standpoint of, of, you know, you, you already have relationships with a lot of the, you know, higher ups in the organization. I, I think she's going to hit the ground running and really has a chance to, to have a lot of success there in Miami. And Jonathan, you mentioned, you know, something that maybe should have happened a long time ago or has been a long time coming. And I know that I had shared this with you. I was looking uh, I stumbled upon something that was posted 20 years ago uh, that referenced Kim as being the leading candidate to become uh, the first female general manager in Major League Baseball. And it was incredible to, incredible to me that that was 20 years ago people were talking like that. Yeah, I mean, her name had, had come up you know, when she was with the Yankees and she was you know, taking on 
you know, pivotal tasks there as a, as an assistant uh, to Brian Cashman. Uh, that was when her name first popped up. And I mean, uh, I guess that that site w- was right. It just took a lot longer than, uh, you know, than, than a lot of people anticipated. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that that glass ceiling has been, been shattered and I hope it leads to uh, more hirings and promotions, uh, you know, b- both of women, but also of, of minorities and in, into important decision-making positions around baseball. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about Jason Dominguez, the Martian. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. All right, welcome back to the Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, and Jesse Sanchez. And guys want to talk a little bit about one of the most exciting young international prospects to come along on the scene in quite some time. Already feels like we've been talking about this kid for a long time. He's only 17 years old. I was looking at the fact that we have his projected um, arrival date, his ETA in the big leagues is 2024. We're going to be talking about him for a long time before he even gets to the big leagues. Jason Dominguez, um, Jesse, you recently had a chance to talk to him. He has so much hype already. He's even though he hasn't played a single professional game yet, um, even though there was no minor league season this year for him to play, he still managed to kind of go viral over the past few months. Uh, the fact that he's uh, just bulking up and, and looking truly uh, like not a human, uh, like <laughs> the Martian. Uh, but you had a chance to talk to him recently. Uh, great feature up on the site right now. But tell us a little bit about uh, Jason Dominguez. So, Jason, one of the things I was really impressed with is uh, it's so, it sounds so simple, but this kid just gets it. I mean, he understands um, the hype. He understands, you know, all the expectations um, that come with signing with the Yankees. He understands the expectations that comes with signing for $5 million. I mean, his life was basically changed overnight, at least, you know, from a financial standpoint. But what I was really impressed with is that he's not satisfied. Um, in his mind, it sounds nuts to even think about it. He's, he says things like, you know, I haven't done anything yet. You know, I haven't made it yet. Yes, I've signed a big bonus. 
yes, you know, I've worked really hard to get to this point, but I'm at the very first step of my professional career. So the way I'm looking at it, what Jason was saying, the way he's looking at it is there's still so much work to be done. Um, so he's out there working every day. He's working five days a week. He's driving two hours each way to go work at a, at a facility. You know, sometimes he stays there too late and he sleeps in the dorm room there at the facility with other teenagers who haven't even signed yet. So what you have, like you have Jason Dominguez who signed for $5 million down the hallway from like 15 year old kids who are also training to sign their first contract. And he sees them as peers. You know, he feels they haven't done anything yet. And at the same time, he said to himself, you know, I haven't done anything yet. So I still have tons of work to do. Um, so he's really working on his fitness. He is, you know, trying to get stronger. You know, I talked to him. He's working on his core, his flexibility. I saw those videos. Those videos are amazing. He looks so big. And I asked him, you know, how much weight have you put on? He said, well, I signed at, uh, I was around 190 when I signed. And over the past year, I probably weighed closer to 205 to 207. So I've put on a lot of muscle. Um, he still maintains his flexibility. Uh, I just really enjoy talking to the young man. Uh, I just really like how humble he was, but also how human he was. He was, he's a 17 year old kid. So he was wondering about uh, baseball cards. And, you know, he saw on eBay or a different online sites that people are buying his cars for hundreds and sometimes thousands of dollars. And he's just amazed that people would do that. You know, he joked around saying, Hey, maybe I should keep a couple of these in case this baseball thing doesn't work out. I can have a, a few of my own baseball cards and sell them off, you know? So in many ways, he's just a teenager. He, he's just a normal kid. He bought his first car. Uh, he joked around with his agent. He called the agent, you know, out of his house and he said, Hey, I need to come show you my, uh, my new sports car. Uh, I finally did it. I, I, I took the big plunge. I'm going to do this. So he goes, he told the agent to come out to the, to the parking lot. He goes, I want you to see my Bugatti. And the agent's eyes got really big. Like, Oh my gosh, this teenager just spent hundreds of thousand dollars on a sports car. And it was a used Honda Accord. So that kind of says, you know, who he is. I mean, he is a humble kid. He's working hard. That's his work vehicle. He uses that to go to and from, you know, work to the neighborhood through the neighborhood. Uh, I think he eventually purchased a used, uh, Jeep Cherokee so he can maneuver the difficult roads in the Dominican Republic. Um, I just walked away feeling really impressed with, you know, obviously his tools are there and the projections there. And I think people have high hopes, but I think what's really going to help this young man is, uh, he has it there mentally and he, you know, his, he has really good makeup and, you know, it seems like the sky's the limit for this young man. You know, I have to say that I'm kind of relieved because I'm realizing I'm I'm a lot like Jason Dominguez. I own a used Honda, and I also have put on weight since he signed. <laughs> that's the that's the comment. We'll start calling you the Martian. Yes, I am. I am the Jason Dominguez of MLB Pipeline. Next time we're asked for a, a comp on Dominguez, and instead of the the ones that that Jim you you uh, <laughs> Bo Jackson, Mickey Mantle, Mike Trout, Jonathan, Jonathan Mayo. That's right. Which one of these is not like the other? Speaking of the that comp, those comps though, uh, Jim. I mean, the hype for this kid, you know, he was the best sixteen-year-old international prospect uh, in that signing class, signed by the biggest team. 
Um, and then he starts getting these comparisons. And I know you guys hate comps, um, but you report them <laughs> as you hear yes. them. I know I, every time every time we talk about this, people get on us saying like, oh, Pipeline saying that he's the next Mickey Mantle or he's the next Mike Trout is we're not we're not saying that you know jim's simply reporting what he has heard from people in the industry which i think is what people want to know um but jim talk about that a little bit yeah well i mean i i actually talk about that a lot about how i feel like the hype around him is crazy and then every time i write about him i mean how do you not mention that when you get those comparisons it's i mean the, the first time i ever heard of him you know and and we don't do international stuff like like for people who don't know, you know, Jesse does our international prospect stuff. And generally we'll hear about guys when they sign with teams, especially if it's a team we do a top 34, but like, I don't break these guys down when they're 14 or 15 years old or, you know, or, or really conversant. And I had a guy who knew I did our Yankees top 30 he was with another team. And we were talking in the summer of 2018. And he said, Hey, just <laughs> out of nowhere, you know, Jason Dominguez is going to be your number, the best international guy I've ever seen. He's going to be your Yankees' number one prospect when they sign him. Um, and I was like, okay, you know, good to know. You know, th- th- he was, I guess, 15 years old at the time, Dominguez was. And, um, but it was true. Like, we didn't quite put him at number one right away when he signed that July, but, but he is number one now, even though he's yet to make his pro debut. And, I mean, the, the tools are just – like it, it seems like you're making it up. I mean, you could, you, if you wanted to be aggressive and we try to be, I think a little conservative with our tools, grids, but if you want to go on the aggressive end, you could go 65s or better across the board on all his tools. I, I, you know, it's, you could play him anywhere you wanted to. I mean, there were scouts who um, you know, worked him out as a catcher. I mean, I think that would take away from his offense, obviously, but they just thought he had, he had the agility and the arm strength and the hands he could have made as a catcher. Um, you could probably play in the infield. He could play anywhere in the outfield. Oh, by the way, let's make him a switch hitter too. Um, you know, I, I ran actually when we were at the winter meetings last year, which again seems like it was a decade ago. The concept of being in a hotel for four or five days with thousands of people. Right now, I would go get breakfast every morning at the Starbucks that was right next to our hotel, and it just so happened I think I ran into Brian Cashman like three times. Um, just cause he would go like early in the morning too. And we, he, he would deflect my Garrett Cole questions. They, they were on the verge of signing Garrett Cole. Um, and I was just trying to make small talk with him, but, but we we're talking about Dominguez and he said he literally had trade inquiries for Dominguez as soon as they signed him, like on July two last year. And he'd never had that happen before. And, you know, I was asking him, like, you know, I hear all these great things about him. You know, it almost seems impossible to believe. And he's like, no, I mean, that's, those are the reports we have on him. And I, you know, you, you talked at the open of the segment, Jason, about, you know, the 2024 ETA, you know, he, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets on that Vlad Jr. Wander Franco path, although he didn't get a chance to play this year, but there was talk. I don't know if they would have done it, but the Yankees kind of were talking internally about maybe even sending him to low class A this year. Um, so I think even though he lost a year, he's still going to move pretty quick. Um, and, uh, you know, I cannot wait to see this guy play. You know, he was number one on my list of players. I was looking forward to seeing play at some point in 2020. Um, and, and I cannot wait. I, I have never heard a guy, you know, described in these terms, scouting terms ever. 
And it's crazy. I mean, as we've, we've pointed out, he's yet to play an inning of professional baseball or had an at-bat. You know, uh, you know, most of us haven't seen him play in any way, shape, or form, or even take batting practice. So uh, it is exciting. You know, I, uh, I have a tendency to want to be like, oh, come on. Um, and Jim is the same way. I know this is, we are not two people who, you know, blow up guys needlessly. So when you hear those comps and they're reported, this isn't like just because one guy said them. Uh, I can assure you, Jim probably talked to, you know, you know, 47 people uh, before, you know, feeling comfortable putting that out. So it is, it is kind of amazing. I, I do want to see him go out and play. Uh, it's, it, I, I like hearing the, the, the side that Jesse was able to give us in terms of, uh, you know, the makeup of, of Dominguez and, and how he handles himself and how he's carrying himself. Uh, and that gives me even more confidence that he is going to kind of hit the ground running and put in the work that's necessary to, uh, you know, I don't know how you live up to that hype, but come close to living up to that hype. Uh, because we've all seen guys who are hyped, not this much, but, uh, you know, the, the money or the attention, the acclaim, whatever it is, can, can change them. And, and then they don't end up sort of fulfilling their, their potential. But hearing what Jesse had to say about him personality wise is, uh, is even more encouraging, uh, that the makeup grade might be as high as the, the other grades that Jim was talking about. Jim, you talked about him potentially, uh, jumping on that fast track a la Wander Franco and, and, uh, Vlad Jr. That made me think about the fact that, uh, Vlad Jr. was not the highest ranked prospect in his international signing class. Uh, Franco was, um, but if you look at if you look at Jason Dominguez and you you think back to sort of the most ballyhooed international prospects when they were you know not even 16 years old before they had signed, um, I think you have Wander Franco was a clear number one um, in 2017. Um, and then although we, technically we had Otani ahead of him, right? Well, I mean, about, we, yeah, we kind of mixed 16, 16 year olds, yeah, yeah. yeah. But going back before that, would you say that was Kevin Maitan the the guy who got the most hype as a 15, soon-to-be 16-year-old signee? I mean, from my perspective, it seems like he got a lot of play early on. I mean, Jesse would probably answer that question better than than we can. Um, and even, like, with, with Vlad Jr., I think he was behind – like, I know he wasn't number one on our list – but I think he was behind. Like there, there were a lot of Cuban defectors that year. I, I think Vlad was maybe the youngest, like like the, the best sixteen-year-old. I, I, I can't remember. But I mean, what do you think, Jesse? I mean, I, I know from we kind of covered from afar, and I remember Maiton getting a lot of hype before he even signed. But I mean, have you heard of anybody who who was hyped anywhere close as much as as as, as um you know Jason Dominguez? I would say Eloy Jimenez might be one who was, uh, you know, highly regarded just because of the, uh, all the abilities, you know, at the time they really saw him as a athletic outfielder who can, who could do everything, who could run and had the potential to, you know, not just play in the corner, but possibly in center field, obviously, you know, he's grown a little bit differently than I think some people expected. Uh, but 
Elo Jimenez comes to mind. Um, ultimately, these you know talking to these international scouts, you know the goal or the dream is to get the next Miguel Cabrera, right? That's who. That's like the, the poster child for international prospects. Get the kid who is from outer space, like a Miguel Cabrera, and fittingly, you know Jason Dominguez is nicknamed the Martian. You know another guy who is just not normal. So I would say. Miguel Cabrera, Eloy Jimenez, uh, definitely Maiton got a lot of love, uh, but Dominguez is is a special character, and it's it's even tricky to compare him to you know young Vladdy, because even when Vladdy was fifteen or fourteen and fifteen, there were still some questions on what position he was going to play. Um, you know, these scouts were all about projecting you know body type, body frame. How was that going to play as he got older? Was he going to be able to stay in the outfield? Was he going to move to third or, or, you know, move to first? And I think those are some of those questions that I think Vladdy's still answering these days. Um, I was reading and I saw videos where he's lost, you know, 30 pounds and he's really working hard to, uh, you know, to fulfill his defensive potential as much as the offensive potential. But I think overall, um, the first person that comes to mind is Miguel Cabrera. Uh, then Eloy, uh, then Dominguez. And, uh, you know, these guys don't come around very often. Uh, international scouts, they want to get top talent, but ultimately they're also trying to get players to fill out their system. They're trying to get players who they can deal, who they can put in part of trades to acquire championship pieces. I mean, there's a, a lot of goals. There's a lot of things in play when you're signing international kids. You know, the ultimate goal is to get that big star, to get Jason Dominguez. And if you can get one of those, it's like, wow, it's a, it's a success. And this guy can really change, you know, turn around your international program for a long time. But there's a lot of success with, you know, signing, you know, mid to mid-range players who can also, you know, eventually be 40-man guys. And uh, I guess the whole point is just to get back to the how special Dominguez is and, you know, his hype. Uh, it's not unprecedented, but it just doesn't come around like this very often. I got a quick quiz. I look back at 2015 really, really quick because uh, uh, Jim, you were right. By the way, there were a bunch of Cuban defectors ahead of him. There was one non-Cuban defector who ended up ahead of Vlad Jr. on that 2015 list. Any guesses? Well, I, I looked, oh. and it, and I, and we'll see if Jesse remember. Well, Jesse, do you remember who you had ahead of him? Uh, no, I don't have that in front of me. Yeah, it, it was Lucius Fox, and and here's what I never understood about Lucius Fox. So when Lucius Fox was at American Heritage, everybody knew who he was, and he was viewed not as a consensus first round pick. And then he goes to the Bahamas, and all of a sudden he's a six million dollar player. That 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 part of it never made any sense to me. Yeah, I don't mean to dig into the Lucius Fox story. I was just saying it was like that. <laughs> well, we have Jesse on here now. I was just curious I, if I, Jesse I, had any perspective. No. And originally, when the list first came out, judging by the story, you had Jalen Ortiz, who's now with the Phillies, one and Vladdy two, and then the order kind of shifted as the as the all the Cubans came came in: Yadier Alvarez, Vladimir Gutierrez, Yusniel Diaz, Alfredo Rodriguez, and Eddie Martinez, all ahead of Vlad Jr. I mean, the thing is, yeah, yeah, that was, that list is. Yeah. a really fascinating list to look at. <laughs> look at who number twenty five and thirty are. Yeah, exactly. On that list. Juan Soto and Fernando Tatis Jr. 
Christian Pache's 14. I mean, it, it's, it just goes to show the international talent that comes out and, and also how old. difficult it is to project – 16-year-olds, because I remember I did our White, our White Sox farm. I still do our White Sox rankings, and they signed Tatis for $700,000, which is good money, but not eye-popping international money. And their farm system was not nearly as strong as it is now. And I asked about whether he should go on the list, and I was told, no, nah, you don't need to put him on the list. You know, he's not, he's not quite that kind of guy. And then, unfortunately, they traded him for James Shields. Maybe right. if you had put him on the list, uh, they wouldn't have traded him. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, I was I was looking at them because I didn't know anything about Fernando Tatis Jr. except who his dad was, and uh, I'm I'm looking at the end of my White Sox list, and yeah, I think we could have maybe squeezed him on here, um, but you know, live and learn. And, it's, and then again, it's tough though when we're signing guys at 16 years old, you're projecting them so far in the future, and again, we don't have to get off on a Tatis side track, but if you you know you talk to the Padres, which I I'm sure all three of us have done, um, they'll tell you that he took like a massive leap physically after they got him and when they saw him in instructional league after they got him in trade everybody's like whoa like <laughs> we might really have something here right He's last gonna... thing on the tatis thing you're exactly right i don't think anybody expected him to be this good I, the first time i saw him we were in santo domingo's like i think it was an mlb showcase or an international prospect showcase i was sitting next to his father and you know, first of all, I was asking his father if he has Twitter because there was this funny Twitter account with Fernando Tatis Sr. And uh, he was first he started denying. They said he doesn't have Twitter. Someone's using his name uh, anyway. So we just started laughing about that. And we're watching his son. And yes, he's a 15 year old kid. And you can see how tall he is and you can see, you know, the potential there. But then afterwards, when I talked to scouts, they were saying, you know, he has arm potential. You know, he's not very fast, which is funny now to hear scouts say that, you know, to think that's what they thought of him. You know, his feet are kind of big. He's a little bit awkward runner. Um, you know, he's taller than his father. His framework's there, but we're just not sure how it's going to play out. You know, so that was kind of the thoughts of Fernando Tatis back in those days. At the same time, he was 15 years old, you know, and obviously he's turned into this, you know, phenom and one of the you know, the faces of the game and, you know, good for him. It just says, like you guys mentioned, it's so hard to project these guys because the reality is they turn 16 when they sign, but they're, they're being scouted at 14. They're being, you know, scouted at 15. So it's actually younger than 16. So, uh, you know, kudos to all the international scouts and the directors who, who have to go out there and, and, and figure out who these young men are and project them to be big leaguers five or six years in advance. I, I always enjoy going back and looking at these international lists. If you go back to the 2013 list, Jesse, you mentioned Aloy Jimenez. He was the number one prospect on that list. Uh, number three was Gleyber Torres. Number six was Rafael Deers. Obviously three exceptional players there. But then if you, if you go ahead to the 2014 list, uh, and you look at the top 10 prospects on that list, you have Dermis Garcia, Nelson Gomez, Adrian Rondon, Gilbert Lara, Juan De Leon. Stop me if you've ever heard of any of these players. Um, and I know you guys probably have, but uh, point being that no one from the top 10, I think, in this list has panned out to this point. I mean, 
Not 11 through 20 either. Yeah. It, Jesse, we want a refund on 2014. Yeah. It, it, it does right, seem to it. kind of go in waves. Um, 2013, great class. Uh, 14 was not. Um, 2015, the one we were just looking at, uh, obviously a, an incredible list with Vlad Jr. and Tatis and Soto. Uh, but I think if you skip ahead to 2016, that's another one that uh, I mean, you had Lewis Robert, who was a late addition. Um, but I, I don't think that class is looking as, impre as impressive as uh, the others. Uh, 2015 and 13 so it, it seems to kind of go in waves too yeah it definitely comes in waves and that's one of the things these these international guys will say um you know this class is down but in two years those kids are going to be great and i'm like wow we're talking about 14 or 15 year olds how do you know they're going to be so great in two years you know but that's just kind of how the mindset they have and the the, the world they kind of operate in but you're 100 right about it comes in waves and, you know, some classes are better than the others. And that's just kind of how it is. I don't know if that's how it is on the domestic international, uh, domestic scouting side, but it's definitely like that on the international side. Yeah, I think it's similar draft. I mean, the drafts kind of ebb and flow. I mean, I think there's less projection involved. So you maybe have better, you know, the, the, you have better feel on, I don't know if sleepers is the right word, but like guys who are, you're not projecting. I think you have a better feel for the guys who aren't necessarily projected as superstars, but maybe as just contributors because there's less projection involved. But yeah, it's, I mean, there are years where, you know, I mean, I mean, I know John, like Jonathan, what was the best decade draft uh, of the 2010s? And when we knew it at the time. You're asking me to, to use my institutional memory? Really? I'm sorry. Well, 2011. I mean, everybody knew 2000, and the decade before that, 2005. You right away. That always stick out to me. Yeah, the, 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 those drafts were the best drafts of the decade, and you knew it at the time. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I mean, but you know, you could certainly look back at you know rankings and how we did them, and you know, you know, recognizing like, boy, we got that messed up. I mean, that that you know certainly certainly happens. You you look at you know guys who get drafted late. Uh, you know, who end up becoming superstars and guys drafted in the first round who end up not doing anything. So it, it certainly happens on on that end, even if uh, even if it's you know not quite the the same leap and projection that needs to be made. So that whole conversation began with us talking about Yankees' seventeen-year-old phenom uh, Jason Dominguez, and now we want to switch gears, but just a little bit, and talk about another uh, teen prospect, international teen prospect. This being 18-year-old Dodgers outfield prospect Luis Rodriguez, another player that, Jesse, you had a chance to speak to recently. And uh, there's a feature up on the site now. And uh, to me, I think one of the most interesting things in this story was just the confident, confidence that he has. And here we're talking about another kid who has not played a professional game yet. Um, but he is he's excited about the prospect of playing in the same outfield as Mookie Betts, which... Sounds kind of crazy for an 18-year-old who's never played a professional game, but Betts is there for uh, eternity, uh, the 12-year deal. And, you know, this kid's going to, you know, if things go as he expects them to, he could have a chance to play next to one of the most exciting players in the game. Yeah, Jason, that is one of the first things that, that stood out to me as well. You know, we were I asked him how he's doing and, you know, 
you know, what are you working on? We're kind of just having small talk, a little chit chat. And, you know, he brings up wanting to play with Mookie Betts in the future. And the first thing that comes to my mind is like, wow, this guy's 17, 18. Then I realized Mookie Betts has signed for 12 years. Like, yeah, it could probably happen. Like it could, he, this kid could look to his left. He's a center fielder. Who knows if he's going to stay in center? Um, he could look around one day and be in the same outfield as Mookie Betts. And, you know, that was, it was fun to talk about, but it was a kind of a serious goal for him. You know, one thing that really struck me talking to this young man is that he understands, and I think a lot of international prospects understand that baseball is a business. You know, there you sign for a significant amount of money. You use that, you know, to kind of help out your family. You do what you have to do. You invest, you do what you got to do. And all of a sudden at 15 and 16 years old, you know, you're making these grown up adult decisions. And part of that realization is understanding that baseball is a business. So one thing that uh, Luis really told me and that really stood out, he goes, people think when you're a kid, you just see the fun part of baseball. You just see the fans, you just see, you know, the popcorn and the cheering and, you know, the nice uniforms. But there is so much that goes into it behind the scenes that people don't re realize all the, the hard work that it takes just to even get signed, just to even want to play in the Dominican Summer League in the future. So he has that mindset. It's almost like a, a business-like type of mindset, which was really impressive from a young man that he has this level of maturity and understanding at 18. But it wasn't so surprising when you consider when these guys sign at 16, they understand it's a business. Um, one image that really stands out to me uh, covering these international showcases in the Dominican Republic is watching the kids pray or take a knee or hug their parents before they go out on the field in front of hundreds of scouts. They understand the magnitude of this showcase. They understand that their performance today can change their lives. So it's definitely fun in games. I think we all understand baseball is the best sport in the world and it's so much fun. But these kids really understand at an early age that this can change our lives. So talking to Luis, he took that to another level. He was saying, hey, one day I want to play with Mookie Betts. And he wasn't being facetious and he wasn't being funny and he wasn't trying to make me laugh. He's like, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm just got to work to make it happen. Now, Jesse, he's from Venezuela, but um, didn't he relocate to the Dominican? Can you talk about that a little bit? Okay, right. He is from Venezuela. He's from a state called Lada. Um, what happens and what has been happening over the past uh, several years because of the you know, the situation in Venezuela, you know, the uh, political unrest, the socioeconomic place the country is in. Um, I think we all understand how difficult it is for the Venezuelan people right now. So what happens with these uh, young prospects, their trainers or their academies, they'll move, they'll relocate to the Dominican Republic. And that makes it easier for them to be viewed by scouts it makes it easier for scouts to, you know, communicate with them, to navigate the terrain and just the ins and outs of the Dominican Republic. Because the reality is Venezuela is a, a difficult place to to scout in. It's a difficult place to operate in. Um, most of the clubs have moved, removed their academies from Venezuela. There are still some programs there, but 
the best bet is what Venezuelan trainers believe is to relocate their academies to the Dominican Republic. So this, that's what happened with Luis. His academy relocated to the DR, and that increased his chances of of signing. More scouts were there. Uh, there was just more facilities, um, resources, and it, it made a huge difference. So, yes, he's from Venezuela, but he's been in the Dominican Republic. He relocated there, uh, trained there. Um, now he's at the, uh, the Dodgers Academy, and who knows what you know the next step is going to be? Maybe it's a you know Dominican Summer League, or maybe it's you know Arizona Rookie League. But his story is not an uncommon story for a lot of young Venezuelan prospects. Um, you'll see them just move to the DR, or some have even moved to places like Aruba, or they'll relocate into the Bahamas um, just to get to a place where they have the resources, where it's they feel that it's safe, where they feel scouts can uh, have a better chance of looking at them. Uh, no, last thing on that theme is some of these showcases, they used to have tons of these team international showcases in Venezuela. Now those places, now those showcases, you know, have moved. You know, I've been to one, an international showcase in Colombia to see players from Venezuela. And that's not uncommon. That's just kind of where we are now. That's because of the state of the country and, and Venezuela and baseball go hand in hand. It's still the most popular sport there. Um, despite all the hardships, you know, the ups and downs that people face there, you know, there's just still this passion for baseball and, you know, they're going to keep doing it. And Jesse, from your story, it sounds like this was really a, uh, uh, a kind of group effort by the Dodgers uh, reading that their Venezuelan scouting coordinator uh, initially spotted Rodriguez and then seeing that, uh, you know, you say for the next several months, Dodgers area scout Lakey Uribe uh, logged 130 out of his 140 at-bats. Uh, you mentioned international scouting director Ismael Cruz and Luis Marquez. Um, you know, we talk a lot about the, the Dodgers player development system um, and uh, I think this this story does a good job of kind of revealing just what does go into uh, signing a player like this. Right. It, it's definitely a group effort. And, uh, and I'm glad I was able to, you know, shed some light on what happens on the international side with the, you know, area scouts, the, uh, the cross checkers, the international directors, the, uh, the supervisors. It's definitely a team effort. I'm sure it's the same way on the domestic side. Um, with, you know, those types of scouts in the hierarchy and, you know, the, the chain of command. But it's, it's a big deal in the international side as well, because a lot of times um, you're covering several countries. You know, they're, you know, the international director has to cover and, and the assistants and the supervisors. They have to have their hands or be informed on players from Venezuela, the Dominican Republic, Central America, Asian countries. You know, it's a it's a pretty large task. And I think if you you poll, you know, all 30 clubs that are involved at the international, there, there's a similar setup because it's it's really important to get as many eyes on these young men. Um, it's such a difficult task to project what they're going to be like, you know, in the future. But you have a lot of people as part of the process. And most recently, you see general managers um and different parts of the front office also playing a role because they understand how important 
the international acquisitions are. Either they're going to, these guys are going to develop to play in your minor leagues or major leagues, or these are the guys you're going to put in part of a trade to acquire a championship piece. Hey, Jim, um, talk to us a little bit about what you know about Rodriguez. He was number four on our international top 30 prospect list, and then he's, you know, leapt right up to number six on a very, very good Dodgers top 30 prospects list, which um, I know, you know, I don't know how much you really know about him at this point, considering he has not played a professional game yet. Um, But I'm sure that by the fact that you have uh, ranked him as highly as you have, you have heard uh, very good things about him. I I have not seen him play in person, but I have talked to a number of uh, Dodgers uh, officials about him. You know, he's risen to number six on the list in part because he's talented. They have had a lot of graduations. Um, You know, they were planning on bringing him to the Arizona league this year at, at 17 had there been a season that obviously didn't happen, but they, but they're very excited about him. He's he's advanced hitter for his age. I, you know he's got a chance to to be solid across the board when all is said and done. He's got a chance to stick in center field. He could have he could be a twenty twenty guy. Um, you know he, he like I said he's advanced at the plate. I don't think anybody you know has questions whether he's going to hit. He's got a solid arm that would fit anywhere. Um, you know, Jesse spoke to his makeup. They're really excited about this kid. And, you know, it was you know really two years in a row. They got the top Venezuelan player on our list. They they got Diego Cartaya, a catcher, in t- you know the year before, and then they came back and got Luis Rodriguez. Um, so they've they've done a really nice job in Venezuela. All right, let's continue talking about uh, some international players and a couple that uh, is getting the opportunity to play together right now in the Dominican Winter League. Uh, guys, I think this is extremely exciting, especially considering the fact that there's been no minor league baseball for a year. Uh, but Wander Franco and Julio Rodriguez on the same t- team in the Domin- Dominican Winter League. Uh, could you even pick two two more exciting players that, that could even have the possibility of playing together down there? Well, Jason Dominguez. <laughs> I was I was going to go with a, in a word no, but uh, yes, I think Jason Dominguez would be would be good at it. it. Is so much fun, um, you know, as you said, Jay, I mean, especially because we didn't get to see them play. You know, presumably we would have seen one or maybe both of them at you know at the Futures game. You know, I know Wander Franco played you know already, but you know, bring them back um, and just to see them out there again is. Uh, is a lot of fun. Um, we even have Julio Rodriguez lobbying for uh, an uptick in his run grade, um, which, which, which I think is is uh, very much uh, an enjoyable thing that we can see on social media. Um, and by the way, I'm I'm looking into it, and we're probably going to uptick his run grade. I think he's not wrong, but uh, it's just you know, I think. You know, we've managed this whole year doing what we do without the benefit of seeing players outside of those who get called up to the big leagues or you know, when we talk to people about what's going on, you know, what's going on at alternate sites or during instructs, uh, you forget how much fun it is to see these guys actually play. You know, it's, you know, we, we spend so much time writing about them or talking about them. And the opportunities, even, you know, during a minor league season, you don't get to see them play that much, but maybe you get some video highlights and things like that. But to, to see them on a regular basis, um, especially those two, are they're so exciting and they're so dynamic uh, that uh, it, it, it has been 
very, very enjoyable. And, and they're just, you know, they're just getting going. And, and then you think about how much is going to benefit them to make up for lost development time at bats and reps and against a good level of competition. So I hope they're able to continue playing without any pandemic related issues and, and that we get a, a, a good sample size uh, of at bats and defensive reps for, for them as well as the other prospects who are playing winter ball right now. Yeah. Right off the bat, uh, just a few games into the season, we're already seeing some highlights from both of these guys. Wander Franco made a nice barehanded play at shortstop, uh, got a base hit. Uh, Julio Rodriguez uh, got hit by a pitch uh, in the backside, uh, as I saw it described, did not see the actual hit by pitch and then stole base, which is what led to uh, uh, his comment about uh, his 45 run grade. I I actually think he was replying to someone who, who brought that up that he's not happy with his uh, 45 run grade. And he, he confirmed Um, he was also hit by a pitch in the wrist, uh, but then uh, fortunately tweeted out that he's, perfectly okay so that's that's good to see uh some other prospects playing winter ball right now those are the two marquee names um but a couple other top 100 prospects o'neill cruz of the pirates and jesus sanchez of the marlins um some other guys who are in the top 10 of their team's top 30 prospects include uh isaac paredes anderson tejada jeremy pena lewin diaz Luis Barrera, so uh, quite a few uh, good prospects uh, down in the Dominican. And also Luis Hill with the Yankees is probably the best pitcher we've seen in winter ball so far. And he's kind of, he flies under the radar a little bit because he's, you know, kind of at the lower levels or middle of the Yankee system. But, you know, in terms of pure stuff, I mean, he's right there with, with Davey Cruz and, and Clark Schmidt and, and may even have better pure stuff, not quite as polished as those two guys, but he's probably the best pitcher that we've seen, you know, make an appearance in winter ball to this point. It is the, uh, it's the usual mix of, of, uh, you know, good young prospects down there. And then, some guys who are decidedly not uh, young prospects anymore. I'd love to uh, run through the list of names and the stats from the Dominican League and Dominican Winter League and uh, see see guys, uh, the Peter O'Briens of the world, Melky Cabrera playing right now, um, the Brothers Bonifacio, seems like as always. I love their acoustic album. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's always that, that guy is still playing category of players in winter ball. All right. So let's, let's continue on the theme of uh, Wander Franco, because we got a couple of questions uh, sent in to us that we'll answer here in the mailbag portion to wrap up. Uh, I'll put them both out there at the same time and, and you guys can tackle these. Do you believe the Rays will bring Wander Franco to the bigs on opening day or do what the Jays did with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and make him wait a few weeks? That is from uh, at Stevie D LS 97. And who, who, real quick to interject, Jason. Sorry. He's got to ask our best questions, don't you think? I was going to say, he's, a, he's an inbox. He, he's, he's an inbox. He's an inbox more than he's not not an inbox. So so th- thank you to Stephen for the consistently good questions. I, I just had to interrupt and throw that in there. First ballot inbox uh, Hall of Famer, for sure. Uh, the other question from Brian Stark, Rays fan, at, at Rays fan 1031. Do you see Wander Franco moving to third base since the Rays already have Adames at short? 
uh, and low at second. Jonathan, I'll let you tackle them first, and then I will chime in. So I guess the first question uh, about opening day, does he mean 2021? That was the first thing that I thought of. Um, I, I, listen, I'm all in on Wander Franco, uh, just like Jim is. I, I think he's going to be incredibly good. Uh, he's played zero games above a ball. Uh, I'm not saying that he's not talented enough to to make a quick uh, leap, but you know, Vladdy played double and triple A before he got called up. Uh, so I, I would pump the brakes just a little tiny bit. Um, you know, he turns, he's 19, right? He'll be 20 in March. So I, I, you know, I would give him the benefit of the doubt, not just for, you know, uh, super two status and control. I mean, that's part of it, but I think he needs, you know, some time now, if he gets a full allotment of games, you know, in winter ball now, and he's setting the world on fire, then maybe that accelerates that, that timetable, so that pushes off the need to figure out where he uh, where he should play defensively. You know, uh, he looks every bit of shortstop to me. Uh, you know, I know they can't have both of them playing playing short, uh, but he's never played anywhere but shortstop. So I don't know, Jim. I mean, what he could outgrow it, I guess, just in terms of getting a little bigger and more physical. But he's already fairly physical for for someone so young. Um, you know, it's a good problem for the Rays to have, but I'm not, I'm not sure you know, what you do with a player that good who's only played one spot. I mean, that would be another reason to get him some more time in the minors to have him play some third base or some second base or, you know, whatever they want to do. Um, I mean, third base would be, I think, the better option in terms of having a spot for him to to play right away. You get into the the first question first, Jonathan. I I don't think he'll be in the opening rod. I agree with you in terms of timetable. You know, it is interesting to note he was on their postseason taxi squad, but even if he tears up winter ball, I think there's a 0.00% chance he's on the opening day roster just because of the free agent implications. You could keep him in the minors for you know, two or three weeks and get an extra year before he's ready for free agency. And as talented as he is, I, I just don't think they'll they'll push him unless he signed one of those long-term contracts before he got to the big leagues. Um, positionally, I, I think he's capable of shortstop, but Adamas is such a good shortstop that, you know, I just think it's a case if they have a better option. I, I could still see him maybe taking over, you know, second base for Brandon Lau. I mean, Brandon Lau, he's okay at second. He's not... Um, not, you know, I think he's an average defender at best, really, at second base. So I could see if you wanted, you know, to, to emphasize defense up the middle, maybe you put Franco at second. I mean, in all honesty, it, it probably just comes down to what the makeup of the team is when he's ready to take over, which may be at, at some point in the second half of the season. You know, if if Yandy Diaz, you know, let's say backslides a little bit, then, then maybe he does play third. I mean, I, I think he's capable – you know, you know, Kevin Kiermaier is a great defender, so I don't think he'll play center. But, you know, I've had guys tell me they think he could play center. I mean, the nice thing with Wander is, is one, I think he could play a lot of different places, and the bat's so good that it's going to profile anywhere. So it's more you kind of, you know, plug and play him wherever you really need him to when you deem that he's ready for the big leagues. All right, thanks to Stephen and Brian for their questions. Thanks to Jesse Sanchez for joining us on uh, this edition of the MLB Pipeline podcast. 
Thanks for listening, everybody, and look for the Pipeline podcast every week on MLB.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts.